Okay. Hey, everybody. Hello, Gunner. So we are back with longtime listener, uh, second time caller, uh, Jamie Duncan, and first time caller, John Osborne. And we're going to hear about a new book that they published called Open Shift in Action. So welcome, guys. Thanks, Dave. Hey, thank you. Yeah. Yeah, thanks, man. Yeah. So um, let's start with John. So, so, John, so this is Open Shift in Action. What is Open Shift? Yeah, For those so, that don't know. Yeah. Sure. So OpenShift is Red Hat's container platform that's built on Docker and Kubernetes to basically orchestrate, build, and deploy uh, containers at scale, essentially. Okay. Okay. And so, Jamie, this is like, so this book, uh, you know, it's like with OpenShift and people think about containers and everything. Is this for... Uh, developers, because OpenShift is only for developers, or or how are we positioning this book, and what and you know why is it how is it different from all the other ones that are out there? Well, <laughs> is it only for developers? Man, that's a loaded question, right? Yes, um, as I lob it in your direction, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, here's this here's this sixty mile an hour fastball coming down the middle. Um, so it's so like John said, OpenShift's kind of beating heart is Kubernetes which is this open source project that was started by Google, Red Hat's a huge contributor, and it's kind of taking the open source world by storm. Um, it's just going nuts. It's consistently like the most popular project on GitHub. It's it's just insanity watching the, the Kubernetes community explode and grow and do all of this amazing work. And it's, it's this weird dichotomy in that the container revolution sort of started on the developer laptop and the way we talk about containers are very much a developer story. But then when you sit down to start reading the documentation for Kubernetes or for even for OpenShift, it's very much an operations documentation mm -hmm. set. The container platform itself is very much the realm of the operator. They're deploying a big cluster of servers, and then they're making sure that those clusters can all talk to one another and have storage and have all these things, all these things available to them. But the users you know, are the really interesting story. Uh, so there was this weird sort of schizophrenic nature of, of OpenShift documentation, of Kubernetes documentation. And John and I tried to pay balance to that. When we looked out in the world, all of the books about OpenShift, all of the books about Kubernetes, uh, outside of you know, Kubernetes the hard way, which is Kim Kelsey Hightower's project, they were all very developer-centric. So mm -hmm. we decided to... Kubernetes, OpenShift is both. It is dev and it's ops. So we tried to make a book that is both. So it, it does lean a little ops heavy. Um, mm -hmm. I, I think probably a 60-40 split. But mm -hmm. it is very much, you know, there are some incredible developer workflows and some knowledge that John really imparted in there. John's, John's the dev and I'm the ops. In this particular, okay. in this particular sandwich. <laughs> yeah, because usually when people think about um, platform as a service, it's like, oh, it's all the infrastructure is there. It's it's abstracted away from me. I don't have to worry about operations. I could just be the developer wearing my uh, beret in the coffee shop on my MacBook and and writing code. Um, and yeah. but like, what are some of the examples that, that you guys are seeing of like, what are some operation specific examples that it's like that people don't often think of when they think about containers at scale? Well, I think like, actually, before we get into that, Davis, I want to like touch yeah. on what you're saying about platform as a service. So 
I'd say like at Red Hat across the board right now, we're seeing about half our users use OpenShift as a platform, as a service. And what I mean by that is they're building, deploying containers inside OpenShift. They're treating it like a CI/CD platform. The other half of the people are treating it purely as what we call container as a service. So, and what we mean by that is that they're essentially just using OpenShift entirely as an operations tool and not dev at all. And that goes into a little more what Jamie was saying around Kubernetes is more ops, Docker is more dev. In OpenShift, we tried to make both of those a first-class citizen. Um, and inside the book, inside OpenShift, we do basically touch on both these cases, what we call traditional PaaS versus container as a service. Bring your own mm-hmm. container, build it outside the platform, ship it, deploy it, you know, inside OpenShift. Okay. All right. Anything you wanted to add, Jamie? No, I, I like the way John said that way better than anything I would have. But it's kind of interesting, like the guy sitting in Starbucks using the his pad, you know, with his beret. Right. There, the the people that provide that pad, well, they got to have a pretty a pretty killer ops team to keep that thing alive. Yeah. And and that's again that that sort of nature of of we think that we think containers, we think pads. Uh, we think even SaaS, which is what a lot of people are end up end up developing on top of OpenShift software as a service. Someone has to administer it. We are abstracting away the the platform to the end user, but the platform doesn't go anywhere. Um, so really, the the part of ops, and I've been beating that drum around containers and OpenShift for a few years now. That fundamental knowledge of we tend to because we're abstracting away the usage of the tool. We tend to gloss over some of that fundamental knowledge that at Red Hat we kind of a blessing and a curse that we really really hammer home for things that aren't containers. Um, you know, if you get one of our kernel engineers in a room, uh, it's it's you know fifty fifty whether you're going to want to you know jump out a window or or buy <laughs> a beer, right? Or both. <laughs> but yeah, exactly. But with containers, the world seems to be content with just assuming there's unicorn blood mixed in somewhere to make your container do what it does. Mm-hmm. And and that was the part of it that I really wanted to spell. Because inside the book, we go, when we talk about isolation, we talk about kernel namespaces, we start inside OpenShift and go all the way to the bottom of the kernel. Mm-hmm. And when we talk about you know resource limitations with C groups, we start in OpenShift and go all the way down to the bottom of the kernel. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Is that fundamental knowledge helps our customers and helps users of containers in general. It, it helps them do the job better. When you know what's mm. going on under the covers, you're more confident when you're fixing it when it's broke. Okay. And okay. that's the that's the thing I really that was when I walked into this project. That's what I that's what I wanted to say in, inside the pages. Yeah. Yeah. So what I mean, let's let's start with John and then then we'll go over to Jamie, but. John, like I'm sure like for both of you, it's like I know when I go to teach a class or whatever, it's like you want to have incredible mastery of the subject matter before you get up in front of everybody and and put it all out there. And I can imagine with the book, it's even 10 times that because everybody's going to be in the peanut gallery telling, finding all your typos and everything. So like what were some of the things that before you started the book? until after you you finished writing the book, what are some of the things that you learned about OpenShift, uh, good, bad, and ugly, uh, uh, as as you went on this journey of actually writing the book? Yeah, that's a good question. So <clears throat> we tried to make the book, as people know that follow OpenShift, it moves very fast. I mean, we're on, you know, two to three month cadences for new releases. So one of the core things we did with the book, going back to the very beginning, was 
to focus on fundamental teaching principles and not necessarily, hey, this new release has this latest and greatest because OpenShift's going to keep iterating now that the book's out. There's going to be errata and things that get fixed online with the book, but we wanted to really focus on core learning concepts that if you understand this, anything else that comes after it is very easy. Um, so for me, even like with it iterating like that, uh, there was a lot of things that I learned from Jamie on the op side. Um, and then even doing the chapters that I wrote, you know, there were things that even though I knew the subject very well, you know, I had a few aha moments myself because if you really want to learn something really well, you know, try teaching it. That's when you really, that's when really things click together and, you know, you, you might fill in on some blanks or other things that you actually just kind of glossed over. or didn't have the time necessarily before to look into. So it was a, it was a great, uh, experience for me. Just learned a lot, um, uh, you know, throughout the whole process. So, okay. Uh, Jamie, what 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 did you learn? Um, uh, how to to rewrite chapter one seventeen times. Um, <laughs> yeah. That was and figure two dot figure two dot one was like. Yeah, um, yeah. Let's not. Yeah, we we'll save that one for later. That I, I, my eye still twitches when you say that. But um, <laughs> yeah. So it it was. It, it I'm amazed. It it seems like because these communities. You know the container community kind of writ large. You know, so all the container runtimes like Docker, Cryo, um, Kubernetes on top of that, and then everything that Red Hat puts on top of Kubernetes to make it OpenShift. They move so quickly that, like John said, when you go to teach it, and especially with the way the publisher Manning wants the wants the subject matter to be taught, they have some very specific styles that they want you to follow. Um, when you sat down to teach it. And you would go into this idea and you would find just these, maybe not huge gaps in your knowledge, you know, stuff that you could easily just sort of make that, that experience leap from A to, you know, A to D. But um, when you had to sit down and explain it point by point, just finding these little small gaps where documentation just simply did not exist. Mm -hmm. um, and it was in that weird interface between containers and the Linux kernel where I found a lot of them where mm -hmm. I would have to just go, I would literally just have to go find someone on the Linux kernel mailing list and blind, cold send them an email hmm. and say, I'm trying to explain this. That was part text. of the coolest thing, though, to me, though, because it was like, you know, with the book, it was like, you know, we knew that the documentation for OpenShift had started at 3.0 and then had kind of grown and grown and grown. And, you know, mm -hmm. the product's been iterating. So the documentation, from our point of view, has gotten a little, I guess, a little hard to follow. But then there's also tons of stuff missing from it. Um, and then, you know, when we put together the book, every time we'd get like something that literally there's things in the book that are not written anywhere um, mm -hmm. that, that we could yeah. find, like on the Internet or any of our documentation, like literally nowhere about, you know, how things work inside some of the containers. And Jamie was looking at code for some of the stuff. And, you know, I was looking at actual code on GitHub to try to put this into text to really give users fundamental knowledge. So that but that part was probably the most exciting because. You're learning yeah. stuff that not only nobody else knew, um, but maybe a handful of engineers, but we were going to be able to provide tons of value for the book and make it, you know, hopefully common knowledge for all the users in the book. So I think that was oh, part wow. of the coolest yeah. part of the book for me. Well, yeah, did, was, did the documentation, the yeah, well, did the documentation, the OpenShift uh, uh, documentation itself get improved because of the, the gaps you found and you fed that back to the team? There was definitely some things in the documentation that we, you know, had updated. Um, mm -hmm. The documentation tends to focus on solving specific issues as, you know, the book is more of a holistic ap approach to it. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so things, some things in the documentation that are there might be like a little bit disjointed, whereas the book focuses on walking you through very um, core concepts and kind of putting it all together, essentially, I'd say. Yeah, and some of the missing docs really weren't in, you know, they were Linux kernel documentation. They weren't specific to OpenShift. Mm-hmm. Um, probably the yeah. biggest part where I found those was um, in chapter it's chapter nine, um, where you turn on limits and requests for your containers inside OpenShift, so you can set a minimum and maximum consum- you know, memory and CPU consumption for all of your applications. We actually take that and we go into the Linux kernel and, and see how those are enforced by Linux control groups. And that was where I found the most gaps in the documentation, and I don't know who writes the docs for you know, C groups inside the Linux kernel project, but um, there was some of it, like the math, because obviously if I'm saying, you know, it's kind of crazy, in OpenShift we, we allocate CPUs by a thousandth of a CPU, by millicores, and um, we ha- there, there has to be a fraction there. Mm. And going to find the two numbers inside, you know, that crazy file system that is the Linux kernel, yeah. finding the two, the, the two numbers to divide by one another was literally not documented anywhere. And there were eight or nine combinations that got you to the same ratio. But just making sure that the stuff that I told the person, the people, whoever reached chapter nine, that, you know, the number of people that are going to need to go verify that manually is incredibly low. I mean, let's be honest. Kubernetes does a really good job. The container runtimes do a really good job of manipulating all of that stuff. It's all Mm -hmm. settled law. But again, it's just that confidence and fundamental knowledge that we really wanted to push through um, and making sure that I told them that the, you know, go to this direct view you know, this, this location inside, you know, slash people slash sys and then divide it by this location in slash sys and out comes you know, your CPU limit. Mm-hmm. That's not, right. that wasn't documented anywhere. Um, and just that kind of fundamental stuff. So even outside of, of OpenShift or Kubernetes, we were, at, you know, opening books for documentation against the wow. Linux kernel itself. Well, and I think, too, like that from a nerd fantasy camp standpoint of it gives you yeah, totally. um, the authority to reach out to somebody and ask like a, a a fun question, right? And you could build these relationships that you would have never been able to do without going on this adventure. Yeah. Yeah. So let, let's yeah, take a step yeah, it's back. Total, it's total yeah. nerd. Yeah. So let, let's take a step back. And if we... You know, I, I know that, uh, you know, speaking of nerds, um, I would say that's probably the large demographic of our listeners uh, to the Dave and Gunner show. And, um, you know, in every nerd's bucket list is it's like, yeah, I want to I want to write a book. Uh, you know, I'm going to write the, the great uh, computer manual or, you know, because I'm going to get my cred out there, show everybody what I know and actually have a book. And it would be a big source of pride and everything. And and uh, and you guys did it. And I'm, I'm really excited uh, for you and, and proud of you guys. So. So, Jamie, how did it, uh, you know, why write a book? Did you just, like, ha- have a dream and a, or a vision or something, and it, and it just came <laughs> to you? Or or um, how did, how did oh, this God. all happen? <laughs> um, honest answer, they cold called me. Really? Um, random email, random email in my inbox. Um, I don't know how they got my name, and I'm afraid to ask, because I'm I'm, I'm still convinced that they were looking for someone else. Um, but they cold called me they, they, you know, the publishing company, they have, uh, I forget the title. There were four or five different editors we dealt with over the course of the book, but they have an editor that's just kind of going out 
looking in technology, seeing what's the, the new shiny, the, the cool stuff coming down the pipe. And then they try to get a book going on it. Um, mm -hmm. Somehow, out of some horrible, you know, horrible molestation of Google, my name came out. Uh, we talked to the guy. I talked to him a couple times. You know, we put together this proposal and went. But they, yeah, it was a complete cold call. Um, I don't know how they got my name to get the project started. And I'm honest to goodness scared to ask. And then Jamie cold called <laughs> me six months later. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so, hey, John, how's your toddler? And let's write a book. <laughs> More or less, that's what happened. So. Yeah, yeah, so... That's, that's so so how did you guys get started? Did you just, uh, you were like, okay, uh, Jamie just says, okay. And then you give them a link to a Google doc and then they just hit print and it's done. Or is it a little bit more complicated than that? It was a lot more complicated than that. So, you know, the book is published by Manning. They have a very specific learning style um, and it's, you know, proven based around science. Um, and one thing that I've found, you know, since I've been writing the book is there is a whole like army of people that are part of this, you know, manning early access program to get access to the book that, you know, love this learning style and uh, really appreciate it. And I've actually tried to incorporate it into a lot of presentations and other things that I've been doing. Um, it focuses a little bit on like, I guess what you call it just in time learning, but, you know, it's very focused on uh, telling users what you're going to do, walking them through it, kind of giving them that aha moment and then recapping it. So it's, it focuses on less concepts um, and then kind of reiterating, handing, handing it home, walking it through them specific um, mm -hmm. uh, examples. But that kind of adjusting that way to, for me um, was actually really difficult. So like the first chapter I wrote was chapter four um, when I came on working with services and <clears throat> I originally wrote 40 pages. Uh, the end result that's in the book is about probably 15 pages of what I wrote and maybe another 10 pages of what Jamie wrote because it ended up getting reworked so many times. I, you know, front-loaded theory. I was used to more academic style writing um, mm -hmm. where you, you know, you have like abstract type almost and then, you know, putting examples at the end. So kind of adjusting to the Manning learning style took a long time for me it, uh, to, to really adjust to. But, you know, I think it's really been, you know, helpful for me just as a way I explain things to other people kind of kind of going through it. Wow, but yeah. they have a lot of yeah, they have definitely. a lot of editors and so forth for each chapter that walk you through this style and making sure that you're writing to this style. So when you asked what was like writing a book, you know there was people that we checked in with every week um, to make sure we were on progress. And then they reviewed our chapters, um, they made sure everything was good to go. And we got to the end, we had other editors and tech reviewers and other things that came on before it got published. But we had you know uh, people that were more or less holding our hand throughout the way to make sure that we uh, were writing to the Manning learning method. Okay. Um, so was it that like once you got that first chapter like out of the way and, and you rewrote that chapter over and over enough times, it's sort of like, okay, I finally get it now. And the other stuff just flowed out or, or was it more of a tapering uh, over a while of, of, and to the point where it, it was just muscle memory once, once you reached the last chapter? Every yeah, chapter never quite got, got a lot better. Memory. Yeah, it never got to muscle memory. Every chapter was never muscle memory. Yeah. So um, yeah, so it would speed up. I mean, certainly the process sped up a lot. Um, the hardest two chapters were chapters one and two, because hmm. that chapter one is essentially the executive brief. Yes. Um, so it is very, and and when you think about it again, that learning style that that the entire book encompasses. You know, imagine. You know, the, the eight pages that, that I wrote on SE Linux in, in the security chapter. Um, 
imagine an example inside a running OpenShift cluster, so a running cluster running Kubernetes, where I had to, through examples only, walk you through all of the core concepts of FD Linux that you need to know inside hmm. that. And all the examples happen in the right order at the right time to give you the right knowledge in the right order for you to go through that. Hmm. We did the entire book that way. So the entire book is example trip. Um, chapter two starts out with you creating an open chip cluster. Uh, but chapter one was kind of the executive brief. Uh, so it was where we put some theory. Um, when one of us would start writing, a, um, kind of writing a white paper at the beginning of a chapter, we would call it, uh, we were being our inner, our inner Hemingway. If you start to get a little verbose and start to get a little flowery at the front end of a chapter, um, we would hit the reset button and say, all right, no, this chapter is teaching them this. And we start with the example and we go from there. And mm -hmm. we essentially build the chapter out through example. Okay. But it was, yeah, it never got to muscle memory because just getting those examples to work right consistently, um, again, often took a lot of time, often took a lot of learning. Uh, we really pushed out our own comfort level of, of what we know about the inner workings of OpenShift um, to make to put a lot of that together, to put a lot of it together consistently. Um, mm -hmm. I learned mountains of, and, and no kind of fundamental concepts, but just the small things that, again, those confidence boosters of, I know exactly how this process works now. I know exactly mm -hmm. what happens when you click that button in the UI, and I can walk you through all of it on the whiteboard. That part mm -hmm. of it's muscle memory. Mm -hmm. But actually mm -hmm. creating a chapter, no, it always took, um, typically towards the end, we got to where we would have a rough draft, uh, the editor would would tear it up pretty good. Then we would have a cleanup draft that was pretty close, and then another little second edit where we would fix any sort of large grammatical things, and, mm -hmm. and then that would be called a chapter at that point. So for the last few, that's the way it went. Okay. Okay. But, how, uh, how was chapter one had seventeen yeah. versions? No, and I can imagine too. It's like typically when people are at Amazon or you're in the bookstore, it's like if if the 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 free preview is chapter one, and if you don't captivate them in chapter one, even after they buy the book, mm -hmm. it, it, you know they're never going to read the rest of it, and you're going to get one star reviews, and and you know people aren't going to get the value out of it. So really, putting a lot of that effort right. in the first chapter is very important. Yeah. So so would you guys say that you're like once this is all said and done, like what what did it take? How long did it take from uh, beginning to end to get it out the door? Uh, like, how long did it take? I was on it for about nine months, and Jamie was on it for about six more months. I'd say, right, yeah. Jamie? Is that pretty accurate? About yeah. That, so. so in the in sort of the in the public sector calendar, um, because you know, we all work with public sector customers, um, at our annual offsite, uh, we call it Kings Mill. That's the resort we yes. go to. Um, I submitted the proposal, you know, to the to the publisher's board, you know. So sort of the, worked with a person to develop the the initial outline of a of a table of contents and filled out some some answers some questions for them uh, two kings mills ago and then that took some process and some iteration and I started writing in earnest um, around Chris right around Christmas the following year so about a year yeah so about fifteen sixteen months all told um, the first five of those were almost spinning my wheels really wrapping my head around. Not only the the teaching principles that that the publisher uses, but really what did we want the book to be about? Um, because it was going to be an operations only book at the beginning, 
And then as I really started to peel back the what do I want them to know, um, it really got into some developer concepts that, that were pretty fundamental. You can't separate the two, or at least you shouldn't try to. Um, so then I went and found the smartest sort of developer advocate that I've worked with and that I know and, and drug him kicking and screaming into it. I'm really good at overcommitting to things, though, so it was, <laughs> I, said, <laughs> I said yes pretty quickly. I think one of the hardest things about the book was trying to find out what we weren't going to write about, because mm -hmm. honestly, the book could have yeah. been 800 pages, yeah. um, and there were people that wanted us to cover topics that we literally just couldn't get to. The book would have been 800 pages if we had gotten to those topics, um, so we really had to yeah. kind of rack and stack the priority of what would be what would make the most sense to the most number of users. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, what would also make sense for the, learning, the Manning learning style and, and go with that. Um, but that was mm -hmm. difficult, too, because, um, you know, some people did want to see some things that we couldn't fit in 400 pages. And, um, you know, if there's a version two of the book or something, maybe. But, um, you know, we had to basically focus on, you know, the large audience and what would make most sense for the people that we see using OpenShift. OK. And if. How was it from, you know, it took, uh, what, 15 months or so from beginning to end. Was it challenging to keep up with the changes in OpenShift and having to go back in your book and say, ah, dang it, that changed? And I, you know, or was it, did you write it to be as evergreen as possible so that even if they look at the book a year or two from now, it's still relevant? We, yeah, we so tried. We tri yeah, we tried. So there were things <laughs> like, you know, we're going in OpenShift 3.6 to 3.7, some of the, the, the console had changed, so we tried to make like screenshots, um, like smaller, um, so they wouldn't see like this, you know, the skin changing on the outside. We also tried to make more the examples more command line driven, mm -hmm. um, and again, it was more like core concepts. So like anything that they that they created inside the book is still applicable to new versions of OpenShift. Um, okay. And the yeah. the Manning learning style really dictates that because because you have to teach them everything to get to a certain point that, you know, if, you know, say once OpenShift 3.11 comes out, waving that, hey, we can do this, you know, toggle this thing now. Um, to get there through the Manning learning style probably would be another 400 pages. So it, it the Manning learning style kind of mandates that you focus on the, you know, the eight, use the 80-20 rule more or less. So, yes. Okay. Yeah. yeah, at the very beginning, we, we actually did a lot of work just to define who the minimally qualified reader was. And then we tried to write every page to that person. And what we decided to land at was an IT professional with one to two years of industry experience. So yes. essentially someone that can spin up a VM and do what you tell them at a shell prompt. Mm -hmm. um, anything past that, the book, it comes with the book. Mm -hmm. And um, and so it's it's really hard to get all the way to something that God knows they're near and dear to like John and John and Mike's heart. Things like container native storage. But I've had four or five people ask, well, you know, can you get deeper into the storage stuff? Because we have a really simple example of how storage works. Mm -hmm. um, and I would love to have, but I would have had to have explained all of the components that container native storage uses. And it would have been 60 or 70 pages of stuff. So we just couldn't yeah. pick up that concept because we decided at the very outset to write it for someone that maybe knows what a container is, but hasn't built a container application platform before. Yes. 
And that was interesting too, because some of the, you know, we had reviewers, we had, you know, review check check boxes or, uh, you know, major reviews basically. And some of them were actually from Red Hat and some of them were experts. So it was, <laughs> you had to put that in the concept of their suggestions and the concept of the fact that you're writing to a, a minim- minimally qualified reader. Yeah, no, I agree. And, but I think it also, you know, it sounds like you're leaving people wanting more, which paves the way for, um, like a sequel, like OpenShift in Action, uh, Return of the Jedi, or whatever that huh. that you guys will have for you know you could do container native storage, probably a whole whole book on that or or whatever you want. So, what are your thoughts about like now that you've done this and and I I think you guys are both still happily married. Um, are you guys <laughs> looking for the the like a sequel or or just uh, after this experience? Are you are you done with your authors? That's your that's off your bucket list or what's next? For me personally, I think if I'm going to write a second one, I'd probably need to get more. I need to let Red Hat let me write it a little bit more during working hours because the the first one, you know, is pretty much a 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. thing. Um, And now we have our second kid. um, So, uh, you know, doing that again, I think, would be difficult and my wife would probably kill me. Um, But if, you know, Red Hat was encouraging me to do it and... um, would give me some working hours in the day to do it, like you know, the first couple hours in the morning or something. I'd be, I'd be uh, interested. Yeah, okay. yeah, agreed. The the horrible flip side of that is now we've gone through all of that learning process on how to write using these styles, using these principles. Um, the next one would take a lot less time, and I don't want to, like, I know John and our our, our husband credit cards went. We ran the bill way up. Both of us, <laughs> while we were putting this thing together, we we spent a lot of husband points um, yes. with our saintly wives to, uh, you know, book nights in my house took on a very kind of a pallor of of ugliness, you know, towards the yes. end. Um, when when the kid would go to bed and I would say, "Well, it's a book night, honey," um, the <laughs> grunt that would come out afterwards uh, cost me a whole lot. But um, well, well, hopefully they got so we're uh, kind of some stuck copies. In that. Hopefully they got signed copies for Mother's Day. <laughs> I don't so, think I don't think my wife. Um, there's a box of them sitting beside me, and I think she may have thrown it at me at one point. <laughs> <laughs> so because the first books came to Summit, and I actually I left early to go uh, spend some time with my kids. I, I left on Wednesday at Summit. I actually have not seen the printed book yet. Mm. Yeah. But well, James, as, yeah. Jamie just got some signed by Jim Whitehurst, who you know, CEO of Red Hat, he wrote the foreword. So, uh, you know, hopefully I can get one of those soon. Oh yeah. Nice. Yeah. So as, as we, yeah. uh, uh, bring, bring the plane in the land here. Um, and speaking of seeing the book, um, I saw the book's cover and it has this, this lady and it <laughs> looks like a, a patron saint of, of something. Um, what, what patron saint is on that cover of the book? So they gave oh, us a few options, and we picked the one that was the least creepy. <laughs> but I don't actually know where they get there. <laughs> uh, so there's a whole thing, and I read it. Yeah. yeah, there's a whole thing about the the people that Manning decides to put on the front covers, and it mm-hmm. has to do with like the diversity of national national costumes from century ago. Um, there's a whole little blurb inside the preface about the the cover art. And again, we just got three pictures in our inbox one day, and we got to pick one of the three, and hmm. we picked the least creepy. Um, but the title of it, the person is "Morning Habit of a Lady of the City of Para 
in Natolia in 1568, which was near Istanbul. So it's just a woman wearing a habit. So I don't I don't think she's a saint, but um, I'm still alive, so I'm calling her. She'll be mine at least for the short term. <laughs> yeah, your your wiser saints for for uh, yeah. yeah. Your wiser saints for getting you uh, for letting you uh, do this, I guess. Uh, so yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, cool. Well, well, guys, I want to thank you both for joining. And like for the uh, if people wanted to uh, get to the show notes of where all the um, you know to to get a copy of OpenShift in action and and everything and to follow you guys on the Twitterverse, uh, where should we send them? Oh, so uh, you can reach me at uh, OpenShiftFed, um, F-E-D, um, on Twitter. Um, mm-hmm. That's a good way. Or uh, Osborne at RedHat.com also works. Yep. And all of the show notes, uh, my Twitter handle is been forever, uh, Jamie E. Duncan, because there's there's some guy who played football or something professionally who got Jamie Duncan or Jay Duncan, which I'm always angry about that when I stop to think about it. But all of the fun notes, all of the fun links, all of the everything are going to be at ggshow.org, which is everyone's homepage, right? Yeah, it's Dan Walsh's homepage. It's his official homepage. Of um, course. So, yeah. Yeah, we, we, we paid Dan Walsh. We were talking about it on stage last week. Yeah, yeah. We, we sponsor his uh, homepage, um, the, the podcast oh, does. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, all right, guys. Well, hey, thanks for joining us, and thanks, everybody, for listening. All right. Thanks, Dave. Good talking yeah, to you. Yeah, thanks a lot, Dave. Have a good one. You and Gunner.